The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 218 for the week of July 19th. Um, this is Alex here, uh, co-hosting with our special guest, Andre Gata. Welcome, Andre. Thanks for having me. Great to see you again. Good to see you as well. Three times. One week. I it's know. like old times again. I know. It's like the world is back open. It's, it's crazy. It's awesome. I hope everyone is enjoying being out and being mass-free and being safe. Be, definitely be safe. Um, I know that, uh, that you and I did something that was, uh, you know, probably a little more risky than, than most would we be up for still at this point on Monday. We got, got to go to the Home Run Derby. Yeah, that was a blast. Uh, it was great to see so many people out at the stadium. Downtown was packed. Restaurants were packed. Um, the energy is in the air. The city was electric. And it's a national event. Yep. Um, and it was great to have it here. And, um, yeah, it, it's good to see local businesses starting to pick back up after the past you know, 18 months, which has been so hard and taxing on so many people and local businesses. So it's great. Yeah, and you know, we're, uh, we're in my office right now. I'm downtown and on Monday, uh, which was the first work day of the, the all-star stuff, um, downtown was almost as busy as it would be on a normal pre-pandemic uh, work day. So that, that was good to see too, people around the buzz back in the city uh, you know, during the pandemic, it was pretty much a ghost town down here, and it, it was weird. So it's good to see that that coming back around and, and being a little more normal. It's it's great for everybody. I think it's great for uh, businesses, but it's also just great for for human interaction. Yes, I think we we are ready for some more human interaction. So glad for that to happen. Yes, I'm glad we're not doing this over Zoom. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump into the news. Uh, but before I do that, I've uh, got a couple pieces of housekeeping here. Uh, first, if you didn't know, we have a Slack channel. Uh, it is wonderful. There's lots of people on there. Uh, it is now invite only. So if you want to join, go to the website and submit uh, a form to get added. Or uh, if you want, if you know somebody that's already on there, they can request through Slack to have you added as well. Uh, website, of course, is colorado-security.com. While you're there, we have a mailing list. You can sign up and get the show notes sent to you every week in your email. We'd also love it if you rated us and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Uh, if you want to go even farther, let somebody know uh, about how great Colorado equals security and all the stuff that we're doing. And finally, if you want to support us financially, we do have a Patreon campaign. Uh, we take all of the money that comes from the Patreon campaign and use it for the costs of Colorado equals security. Uh, and thanks to all of our current patrons. Uh, definitely appreciate the support and uh belief in us for the, the movement that we have created. All right, so, so for, for one week only, for this month, yeah. I will match any new Patreons that join, just for this month, not for the entire year. Ah, okay. So if we get some more folks that join between today, the 16th, and the end of the week, uh, what is it now? Is it uh, 10 bucks? Uh, so yeah, so if you do the, the 10 buck a month level, uh, yep. then you get a t-shirt and a shout out on the show. Um, those are the, the canned levels. You can do whatever level you want, though. You can do between uh, one cent and infinity. So somewhere in there, that would be great. I'll limit to the $10. I'll okay. match it. If someone does infinity, that's great. I hope you yeah. guys get infinity. That would be wonderful. <laughs> that would be great. And just to be clear, I'm not opening it up to all of your ha you hacker types out there that listen to this that want to try and uh, uh, hack Patreon so that it can show infinity as the amount that you're giving. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm not encouraging that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> anyway. All 
All right, uh, well, let's jump to the news. First story, uh, we had, I think we had talked about this when it, when it happened, but uh, Air France is now doing a nonstop flight from DIA to Paris. Uh, and this story is just talking about why it is that, that Air France chose to do that. So some interesting stuff there. Yeah, so do you know, is that reciprocal? Is it Paris to Denver and Denver to Paris? Is that yeah. now a regular route? Yep, on Air France. So, so clearly, I mean, for us, right, we are a great destination location for all the summer activities, all the winter activities uh, from a leisure perspective, right, with travel opening back up, I think for Air France, it's a no-brainer to say, hey, let's open up a new market, let's go to Denver. Yeah, and that was, it sounded like was one of the things that they considered, right? So they said sometimes it takes them a few years to figure out if, if a market is right to jump into, and it took them less than six months, even during the pandemic, to decide that this was the right route for them. Uh, partially because there was going to be the, the business aspect. You know, Norwegian, which was a budget carrier that had a direct flight from here to Paris, they pulled out of the market. Um, but then secondarily, there's all that leisure traffic. You know, people coming in the winter for uh, for skiing, people for doing other things in the summer. So uh, seemed like the right thing and, and glad that they've got that. Uh, right now, there's, uh, I think, only three weekly non-stops back and forth, but it sounds like, depending on how those go, uh, that may increase. Yeah, that, that's great. And, and and for those that want to start traveling internationally again, right, France is a beautiful country, lots to do there as well. So let's go back and reciprocate. Yes, also a, a great jumping off point for other places in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, well, jumping to our next story, uh, this is talking about the real estate market in Colorado. And we hit yet another record but uh, the, the data is looking like maybe things could be cooling off just a little bit. I, I don't know what to make of it. And I don't, I don't know what cooling off means. Yeah. Uh, I live up north. Um, and as I look around up north, um, the building just seems to be happening exponentially. Uh, folks who are moving into new build homes now are on waiting lists for 2022. Um, and I've heard probably like yourself, stories of, um, I believe the, the article that I read talked about it being the great reshuffle, right? Yeah. With the pandemic, um, with remote working, uh, people moving out of uh, high cost cities into lower cost cities that are more uh, centrally geographically located. Um, I, I've heard some crazy stories about home buying and people coming in above asking and um, waiving inspections and waiving appraisals. So um, the market here is, is great. I don't know what cooling off means, Yeah. <laughs> right? So, cool when you're still this, how does the sun is still pretty hot. Right, one of the things that they mentioned here is that uh, the median price of a single family ho home hit a record again, going over $600,000 in June. Um, and also the average price also was a record at $728,000, which is just insane. Uh, but the things that they saw that they think may be leading to um, things cooling a little bit was a, a much larger inventory on the market, you know, mm -hmm. and that is, uh, that's something that's been driving the prices up, right? If there's no houses to buy, you got a bid higher on the ones that are there if you want one. Um, and also some anecdotal things here. Uh, they have a couple quotes from realtors saying, uh, for the most part, they are seeing people that are getting their asking price, not necessarily a giant amount over the asking price anymore, um, or even a few that have been below asking price. So again, while that still seems uh, pretty hot, maybe not as scorching hot as it was previously. I, I think that'd be great for it to come down a little bit. It, it does seem a bit uh, ridiculous of where the market, uh, where it is. And you know, for all the listeners and, and myself and probably you included, it's like kicking yourself like, man, I, I wish I just bought like one extra piece of property like yeah. 
five years ago and, and right but here we are here we are <laughs> all right uh next story uh lumen is reportedly considering the sale of its com consumer operation business for five billion dollars so of course lumen is formerly CenturyLink. uh CenturyLink is the combination of CenturyLink and level three and you know about 27 other uh, telecoms over the years. Let's not forget U.S. West. U.S. West, Quest. Quest right. Uh, TW Telecom is rolled up in there. That's right. Uh, a, a few other of those. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is a little bit interesting. I guess it's not super surprising to me. Um, you know, you had Level 3 and CenturyLink that came together. Uh, Level 3, which was essentially just an enterprise-facing company. Um, and then CenturyLink with both consumer and enterprise-facing um, so now you've got this big enterprise footprint, which is probably more lucrative these days than the consumer footprint. Uh, so maybe you sell off that consumer footprint and uh, you know focus on the enterprise, take that cash and plow it back into the business. I, I think it's a smart move. Um, you know the, the consumer business, right? It is so highly competitive, uh, and with the increasing mobile and Wi-Fi options that are becoming available. Yep. Um, there are neighborhoods now that are including the last mile for free as part of their new builds. It, it's smart. Um, and, and still, five billion is not a small price tag, right? right? So it's good for the enterprise business, to your point, and uh, potentially could see some additional reinvestments there. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that consumer business, it's going to uh, drive a lot of fairly consistent revenue for a long time, right? You're still going to have uh, people, some people that want telephone service and some people that want internet service um, delivered in the, the traditional ways to their houses and, and that kind of thing. So you're going to have some, some good revenue there, but it's not going to be on the cutting edge. I, I'm going to imagine. So, uh, you know, it, there, there are companies that like that. Hey, we, we want a certain amount of revenue and then, you know, we'll, we'll play it out and then whatever happens after that happens after. It's a mature asset, yep. right? It's an annuity, right? It's going to produce some degree of revenue for some period of time and it will slowly dwindle down. I mean, if you look at AOL, right. dial-up, that business really wasn't eol Even after Verizon bought them, there was still, right. um, I think the number that I heard was like a $5 million annual you know, national uh, yep. reoccurring revenue stream from people all over. So, I mean, it took a while to wind that business down. So this will have a long tail on it. For sure. Yeah. And so uh, it seems like a good idea for me and we'll see if it comes to fruition. Uh, do, you, do you still have a, a phone in your home? We, we do not. No no physical phone in our house. Yeah. We don't have a physical phone either. It's, it's been a while. I know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on. Uh, next, the Colorado Economic Development uh, Commission offered $20 million to four different companies that are looking to add a thousand jobs in the state. Uh, so a couple of uh, interesting projects in here. Uh, the biggest one was a $12.5 million potential grant to a company that they're dubbing Project Windward that uh, they are looking to do an R&D center here um, that will help them build up a, a new digital commerce team, uh, which would give uh, 625 jobs up in Broomfield with an average wage of 112,000, which is pretty cool. Uh, there was some excitement in the story that this is a lot of jobs for the Broomfield area, so, so pretty cool for that. Uh, there are a couple others in here. One that uh, they were talking about uh, an aircraft design company that helps improve the range and endurance of virtual takeoff and landing. That sounds pretty cool. I think that one was uh, aimed for uh, El Paso County. And then uh, the last one, which was the smallest one, which they dubbed Project Baseball in honor of the All-Star Game, uh, was is going to a Maryland-based company that provides crime and fraud intelligence solutions for mobile devices uh, that include law enforcement carriers and insurers. That 
that look one looked interesting to me in terms of what it is. Uh, again, they don't tell us what these companies are. They give them uh, code names until someone either accepts their offer or goes somewhere else. So uh, we'll have to see what happens. It's great to see the state offering up $20 million, though, to draw in more companies, right? We're continuing yep. to see the, the, the landscape down here change. Um, you know, five years ago, we didn't have companies like Exactly, right, with yep. a giant billboard. And we didn't have companies like uh, Gusto uh, showing up here. So the, the Slack is moving in, right? We're just seeing continual companies moving here. And the fact that the state's willing to offer incentives to get more business here, I think is great. Um, it certainly will help support the housing market. <laughs> yes. If we want to keep the housing market uh, hot, let's keep doing this. Yeah, let's keep doing more of this. Um, I also thought it was interesting in, in one part of the article, I think it was for that, that first company, um, the company spokesman, um, again, who they don't name because they don't tell you who the company is. Project Windward. But uh, Project Windward had said that the, the offer that we gave them was not competitive with some of the other uh, places where they were looking. Interesting. But I like the fact that it's not competitive because there are those places where we'll, they'll essentially mortgage the farm to get a company there and then they're there, but it doesn't really provide you any benefit because you've, you know, given them tax-free, you know, whatever for however many years. And then it's like, well, what's the, yes, we've got, now we've got more people here and no benefit from it. So I, I like the fact that we're giving incentives, but we're not mortgaging the farm to make sure that people are coming here. Yeah, yeah. And again, right, it depends on who you're competing against as well, right? I mean, if yeah. you're competing against a New York, it's going to be very, very tough. Um, and yeah, you certainly don't want to mortgage the farm. Increase stress on resources and infrastructure, right? Whether it be water, whether it be roads, and not have any benefit on the other side if we do that. So, yep. um, smart. All right, uh, moving on. Next article we have is a, a blog from the, the Biteback blog uh, and David Staus talking about the fact that the Colorado Privacy Act has been signed into law by the governor. Yeah, so we are now number three. Yep. Uh, California? Uh, I believe Virginia was the second and now Colorado. Uh, so we are, we're ushering in a, a new era of privacy in Colorado. Uh, we've got a, a law now that's gonna be similar to CCPA and uh, GDPR and things like that. Obviously some differences to it. Um, but uh, we've talked about this on the show in the past, about some of the, the details around it, so you can go back and listen to that. Or if you check out this blog, they have a, a link to a webinar that they did talking about the, the Privacy Act. I think one of the interesting things here is that uh, we do have plenty of time because the Colorado Privacy Act will not go into effect until July 1st of 2023. So we've got a couple years before we actually have to worry about it. Yeah, unlike California, which ushered it in very, very, very <laughs> right. quickly, right? We're going to be a little bit more thoughtful and, mm -hmm. and, and pragmatic about the, the approach. Uh, but the bottom line is it's coming. It's designed to protect consumers, right? And I think yep. it's a good thing at the end of the day. Um, you know, it can be a burden in a lot of ways to businesses that are trying to operate. Um, but it's important that we have these privacy laws in place, especially when you think about things like healthcare. It, it, you know, that to me, that would be an area of... of high concern. For sure. Good stuff. Uh, next, we have a press release from Quantum Metric talking about a new hire that they have. Uh, Reza Zahiri is now the Chief Information Security Officer for Quantum Metric. And uh, I don't know Reza, but we put this in here because you don't often see press releases for new CISO hires. So I think that's pretty cool. I think it's very cool. And, and hey, Reza, hopefully you're listening to this and hopefully you uh, drop us a note and join the uh, Join the community and maybe even join the Slack channel. It'd be great to chat with you. Maybe even have you on the show one day. That would be cool. Yeah. So if you are Reza or if you know Reza, uh, have them come check out Colorado Equal Security. Send them our way. Uh, speaking of CISOs, the next article 
was a Q&A with uh, the new CISO of Centura Health. Uh, Sanjeev Saw uh, started, I believe, beginning of the year, maybe a little bit before that, if I, if I remember right. Um, but this is a, an interview that was done with him talking about uh, his role and, and what he sees in security around healthcare. Yeah, I can't wait, wait to listen to it. I haven't yet, but Centura as an organization is a phenomenal organization providing great health care to lots of patients. So I'm excited for Sanjeev and that organization. Yep, good stuff. Uh, definitely gonna have to listen to that interview as well. Uh, next, another CISO article. Uh, there was an announcement this week for the CISO Connect uh, inaugural list of the top 100 CISOs. And we're talking about this, no doubt, because there are some Colorado CISOs on that list. Uh, so there were two, uh, Randall Fricci of Denver Health, and Sam Massiello, now of Beckage, which is a, a law firm. Uh, he was previously at Gates and Teletech and, uh, sorry, what, what's the, uh, what's Teletech's new, uh, anyway. He was uh, at MX Logic before that. MX Logic, he's been around for a long time. Both those guys, great, uh, great CISOs, uh, great members of the community, and we're, we're very excited for them. Uh, also, a couple other people that were on the list that we wanted to note. Uh, Christine Vanderpool, who used to be here in Colorado, was uh, CISO at Molson Coors. I was trying to remember if it was it was the Molson side, not the Miller side. Yep, it was Molson Coors, yep. and then over at uh, Deputy CISO at, at Kaiser. At Kaiser, uh, before she left and moved to Florida. And um, Ken, and I apologize to Ken, I have met him before, but uh, um, this is going to be tough. Uh, Athanasiou, uh, who is the, the CISO for VF Corp, which is, of course, a Colorado-based company, but Ken is actually based in North Carolina still, I believe. Um, but anyway, uh, at least a, uh, a sort of uh, side part of our community. So uh, congratulations to all the folks that were on that list. Yeah, what a great list to be on. And congratulations to all those, those guys and gals. Speaking of lists, uh, mm. we have another one. Logarithm was recognized as a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant for 2021 for SIM for the ninth consecutive time. That, that's impressive. Um, I, I know right now that... Uh, that space is as competitive as it's ever been. Right. And to have a Colorado-based company continue to land in the upper right-hand quadrant, nine years running, uh, they're doing a great job over there. Yeah, uh, congrats to Logarithm, good stuff. And yep. uh, we look forward to other good stuff from them as well. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, so next, we've got a couple security blogs. One is from Zavilo. The title is Malicious Office Documents, What is Old is New Again. Um, and I think, Andre, you were saying uh, earlier, uh, malicious <laughs> office documents, um, what's old has never gone away. Yeah, right? I, don't, I don't think it's, I mean, it, yeah, it's not what's old is new again. It's, it's, it's been here forever. It's not yeah. anything new from an attack vector perspective. And as we were chatting about, and, and this is probably worthy of a conversation at a round table or a next get together, but, you know, the question is, as Microsoft continues to grow, right, the target on their back has never been bigger. Yep. Now, is that good or is that bad? Um, we talked about some of the things in the news lately. Um, you know, Microsoft um, is, is a very reputable company with, with lots of security people and lots of security professionals. Uh, but as they continue to be at the center of all things, um, I think there's cause for maybe deeper inspection sure. around all things. Yep. Uh, I think... Uh Agreed, and uh, also on the flip side, you know, Microsoft is one of the the biggest companies that's out there. Lots of security resources, so I think that uh, if, if somebody was going to have to handle that problem, that I think they're a good candidate to do it. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
back to the blog itself, uh, one of the things I like in here, it does a good, uh, good job of talking about the ways that people are we weaponizing Office documents today, uh, some tactics that they're using, some ways that they're uh, trying to exploit people. So if, if that is of interest to you, uh, check out that blog and, and get some of the details around that. And then uh, finally, our last news article comes from Red Canary. Uh, they are talking about the fact that the Atomic Red Team testing framework has added new tests for cloud and containers. Uh, more specifically, these are, are Linux-based uh, items. So uh, pretty cool there. For those uh, that aren't aware, Atomic Red Team um, is an open source uh, testing framework that you can use to that maps to attack techniques so that you can uh, test your defenses and, and make sure that they work correctly. Uh, traditionally, a lot of those tests have been on focused on the Windows endpoint, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's where Red Canary's sweet spot is. You know, they're trying to protect your endpoints. And so that's really where the, the um, tests that they have developed have been. Uh, but now they're moving beyond that. So into Linux, into cloud, into containers. And I, I think that's definitely a good thing. Yeah, to your point earlier, right, there's commercial tools that are available. Um, I think the fact that Red Canary is making this available for free and expanding beyond solely Windows is a great resource to the security community. So hats off to those guys for developing it and making it available to anyone who wants to use it. Yep, uh, great stuff. All right, that's all of the news stories for this week. Let's uh, move on to the Slack message of the week. Um, I would like to thank Andre, who uh, supports our Slack message of the week every week. So thank you, Andre, for, for doing this. You've been a wonderful member of the community, and uh, we appreciate your financial support of this. Um, the winner of the Slack message of the week will get one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. Uh, so we will uh, we'll be in contact with you, and you can uh, work with Andre to get that. And so the, uh, the winner this week is... Uh, there was a lot of good candidates this week, um, but, but I think the one that... that Hit home with me this week uh, was in the Random Channel, which is a, a great channel. If you're not checking out the Random Channel on a regular basis, pop over there. There's some good stuff. But uh, Colin Grady, great job. The the robot vacuum grabs me a beer uh, video was fantastic. Um, I actually went online to see if there was a robot vacuum that I could get to do that for me <laughs> in my home. I haven't found the commercial application for it yet, but uh, anytime a robot vacuum can be converted into a beer retrieving machine, uh, I think that's fantastic. So uh, congratulations, Colin. Reach out to us or we'll reach out to you and uh, you get to pick out something from the Colorado Equal Security Store and there's lots of good stuff out there, so. There is for sure. I was pretty impressed by the robot vacuum um, and if I could get that, if I could get mine to bring me a beer, I would definitely do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, moving on, let's talk about events. Uh, as you guys may know, we have an event calendar on the website. Check it out at colorado-security.com. On the podcast, we talk about the, the events coming up in the next two weeks, and uh, we're still a little bit light. We've got four events that are coming up. Uh, first of those is the ISSA Colorado Springs chapter is doing their July chapter meeting on the 20th of July. And on July 22nd, Data Connectors Denver Virtual Cybersecurity Summit. On the 24th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their July mini seminar. And then rounding out our two weeks on the 28th, IC, uh, ISC Squared. Uh, Pikes Peak July hybrid meeting. Yeah, so it uh, looks like we got a, a good amount of Colorado Springs stuff and then the uh, Data Connectors virtual event there. So uh, I think we do have a few events that are coming up after that. And uh, I would imagine coming into the fall, we'll start to see more events popping back up yeah, on the calendar. Yeah, we're, we're starting to see that happening for sure. Yeah, yeah good stuff. All right, let's jump over to jobs. Uh, we got some interesting jobs this week. Uh, first on that list, uh, Drata is looking for a compliance manager. Uh, Ross Hossman is the new CISO over there and is looking to, to hire a compliance manager. 
Uh, Oventiv, uh, formerly Encana, is looking for an IT security analyst. Pulte Financial Services, my former employer, is looking for an information security intern. And Zoom, a company we all got very familiar with this past 18 months, yep. is looking for a senior privacy analyst. CyberGRX is looking for a security risk analyst. And Lumen, who was mentioned earlier, is looking for a product software development security senior lead information security engineer. I think that's going to win for longest, most confusing job title of the week. <laughs> uh, NREL is looking for an information system security manager, manager two. And Denver International Airport is looking for a senior IT security analyst. Uh, Grable Companies is looking for a chief information security and privacy officer. I think that's interesting and that you have both roles combined. Absolutely. And to compete with Lumen for longest title, the Southwest Fire Rescue is looking for a senior systems and information security analyst. Yeah. So if you always wanted to be a, uh, a firefighter, but you know, decided it wasn't for you and instead wanted to do uh, IT and security for them, got a job for you there. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, well, that is the end of the newscast for this week. We do have a feature interview. Uh, Jason Jakes got together with Nigel Thompson, uh, who is VP of Product Marketing at BlackBerry. I think that, that the title is a little bit uh, misleading there. He, um, you know, Nigel is a, uh, somebody who's been around the security community. So um, I think this is going to be an interesting interview, and I look forward to hearing it myself. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to it. Well, uh, awesome. Uh, that is the end. Andre, I appreciate you filling in for Rob, and I believe Rob will be back next week, although I think I will probably be gone, so maybe someone else will be filling in for me next week. All right. Well, enjoy your time off, and thanks for having me. It was great to be back on the show, and I'll see you soon. Awesome. This has been Colorado Equal Security, and we'll talk to you next time. Hi, this is Vincent Grimard, CSO at Nelnet. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Security Professionals. Hello, Colorado Equal Security. I'm Jason Jakes. I had an opportunity to interview another very interesting individual in the community, Nigel Thompson. Nigel is the VP of Product Marketing at BlackBerry. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Hi, Nigel. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Great. It's my, my pleasure to be here. And you are coming to us on the other side of the world relative to Colorado Equal Security because the other side of the world is the other side of Colorado. You're coming to us from Aspen, right? Correct, actually, just to be precise, Snowmass Village. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah, the there's difference. A difference. There's, there's a difference. There's a difference. Usually, if you're in Aspen, you own a plane. If you're if you're in Snowmass Village, you own a truck. <laughs> okay, okay. You yeah. just have to rent your planes. Is that what it That's is? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Right on. So let's start off with your background. Can you tell me where you're from? Sure. Um, South of, I, I like to make fun of the Texans, I'll say, because there's a lot of Texans here. I say I'm from south of Texas, um, and they get confused by that. But actually, in the, in the southern hemisphere, uh, a couple of islands uh, that makes up New Zealand. Yeah, uh, That's where I was born and raised. And uh, I, I originally got to Colorado um, right out after university. Uh, I was going to do a backpacking trip. So I thought I'd go to Colorado, go ski a season, and then I was going to head to Europe and, uh, you know, to do that sort of thing and, and, and actually in new zealand we have a name for it it's called your oe your overseas experience okay. and uh partly is you know when you're when you're sort of the last stop before the south pole um when you travel you you know back in you know in the 80s um, it was a pretty big deal uh to leave it's a long way to go and it's a you know big big investment so usually you travel quite a bit 
Um, so that was, I was the, on the beginning of my OE. And I think, you know, 30 years later, I'm probably still on it. Um, so I got to Colorado and uh, enjoyed my first season there, then discovered summer in the Rockies and uh, fell in love with that. And then suddenly it was winter again. So I thought, what the heck, might as well do another, another ski season. So so that's kind of how it went. It was a little bit of a rinse and repeat for a while, um, you know, being being the, the proverbial ski bum. Yeah. Uh, and then realized I should probably do something else besides that. And uh, and then, you know, the internet was just getting started uh, in the mid-90s. So I sort of got curious um, with that. I thought that was really kind of interesting and, and uh, you know, played around and, you know, did some stuff. And then, uh, and then at some point, um, uh, I got asked to join a company in, in the tech center in Denver. Um, okay. The company was called Navidec. It was uh, back in the day when websites were magical. Um, so, um, you know, we were building websites for, um, you know, for, for large companies, for, you know, we'd be classified as a system integrator. And uh, that was a great experience. It was super fun. Um, you know, you have to put it into context of the timing. It was like we were inventing things. Um, yeah. You know, the, the web was still early. Nobody, nobody really knew how you did things. So there was a lot of experimentation. You know, some stuff worked great. Some, you know, maybe looking back, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Um, so it was really great. It was a great group of people uh, in Denver. We had, we had so much fun. Um, building that, and then uh, and then I and I transitioned. I ended up um, moving to a uh, dot com startup in in uh, in Silicon Valley, um, and that was more on the sort of the, it was when Java was a big deal. Um, yeah. So we were sort of doing Java, you know, connectors and things like that, and that was great. And you know, really charismatic CEO. You know, we traveled a lot. We went all around the world. You know, pitching pitching our products and uh you know you learn a lot you really do learn a lot when you're you know yeah. when you're a little bit bootstrapped and you know you're out there with the customers and you're on cutting edge technology um it's a great way to learn and then after that i ended up back at a uh at a, at a company and uh again in colorado and um it was sort of the beginning of the mobile revolution so so mobile is becoming more important um it was still pre pre uh pre-iphone uh you know i think that's probably a that's probably a significant timeline in the mobile world. Um, so you know, Blackberries existed. Uh, you know, there were uh, Windows mobile devices, and the company I was working for um, did a lot of work with um, with sort of more of the rugged side of things. You know, the rugged scanners that you might see baggage handlers have, or you know, UPS. You know, and uh, at the time, um, we were building software and we were you know pushing it out to these devices. Um, and actually, when I say pushing out, we, you literally had to get the device in your hand and you had to load it and then you send it out. And uh, after a while, I was like, you know, this is kind of crazy, you know, because we'd send out all these devices and then we're like, oh, my goodness, we need to make a change to the software. How do you do that? And we take that for granted today that there's an app store and there's automatic updates and all that stuff. But back in the day, there wasn't. Um, so I thought, well, that's really crazy. You know, we should be able to do that. Um, yeah. And that was sort of the beginning of you know it's the curse of the entrepreneur who gets an idea in their head and it, and it won't leave you know right, it just keeps right. nagging at you and um and the and you're probably you're probably a little bit arrogant like i i could solve that problem <laughs> that's not that hard um and then you decide to do something about it so um started to build build some technology um and at the time you know, there were some other products out there that could, and by the way, this is the emergence of a market called mobile device management. Um, there were some products out there, but they were sort of, um, 
they, they, they relied on, you know, a device to be on your network. Um, so if you can see it on your network, you might be able to push it out. Uh, but we were sort of in that, that new phase where the devices weren't on your network. They were on Verizon's network or AT&T's network. Um, so it took a different type of technology. So at the time, I thought it'd be cool to use the cloud and uh, use the cloud to push out, you know, uh, applications and files and things like that. Yeah. yeah. There is a whole lot to unpack there. Yeah. Hey, I just, uh, <laughs> um, hey, so let's, hey Jason, uh, I just lost the screen. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Let me go ahead and interject here. It was at this point in the interview, about six minutes in, that we had some major technical difficulties. A computer crashed, and it took us about 10 to 15 minutes to regroup and restart the conversation. The problem is we didn't know where we left off in the conversation. Now, the interesting thing is the remainder of the interview, I think, turned out quite fascinating. So without further ado, here is the second part of the recording of the interview. Enjoy. I have no idea where we left off, but I do have some things that, that I still want to uh, explore. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so growing up in, um, in New Zealand, where about... Did you grow up and what was, what was it like growing up in New Zealand, New Zealand? Okay. It's, um, so not to age myself, but, um, well, first of all, for, for those who aren't familiar with New Zealand, it's, uh, it's a couple of islands, um, uh, conveniently labeled North Island and South Island and about three quarters of the country lives in the North Island, um, and then about half the country lives in one city, um, which is, um, we call it Auckland, and Americans like to call it Auckland, okay. which always sounds really funny to us. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, it's actually a little bit like San Francisco for those, um, you know, it's on the bay, it has a bay bridge, and it's very hilly and lots of Victorians. Uh, and um, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, uh, for those who love sailing, um, you know, we had the America's Cup there uh, earlier this year. Um, it, it's a very, you know, outdoor orientated uh, place. So I think, you know, Coloradans would, would you know, probably gravitate to it. Okay. And then the South Islanders, um, where the North Island is very sort of, you know, rolly, lots of farms and things like that. And, you know, obviously hundreds of miles of beach. Uh, the South Island is um, more mountainous. Uh, the Southern Alps, they're actually bigger than the Swiss Alps. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, for those who like the Lord of the Rings, you know, a lot of the yeah. those dramatic scenes where they're kind of, you know, you know, traversing across the uh, the ridges and the peaks and things like that, that was all filmed in the South Island. And, and, and actually, there's a big uh, film industry there now. Um, because of weather workshops, because of Tom Jackson and, and, uh, and that. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then growing up, it was, um, you know, I grew up in a small little suburban town um, and, you know, went to high school there and, you know, we, we all played rugby. That was, you know, you know, like we you have football here for us, it's rugby. Um, and that's sort of what the country sort of rallies around as a sort of a primary sport. Yeah. And uh, no, it was good. It was a good lifestyle. Um, you, know, you spend a lot of time outdoors on the beaches. And, and I think, you know, if you talk to most Kiwis, um, your lifestyle is important, you know, finding that balance. I, I sometimes find it with my American colleagues. Um, it's not neither right or wrong. Um, is we, we do value our lifestyle. And, 
you know, sometimes I see some of my colleagues, you know, from a professional standpoint, that that's how they identify, identify as just worth work. And it's only about work and, and then everything else sort of, you know, ladders down from that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's different. Uh, so consequently, I like to, you know, I'm living in the mountains because I'd like yeah. to find that balance. And I, and I think it, it helps a ton, really. Like from you know, everyone's different, um, you know, whatever your outlet might be. You know, for me, I enjoy, you know, being in the mountains, doing something, um, you know, whether it's biking or skiing or whatever. And it's a great way to process too. You know, like if you're, struggling with some stuff at work and sometimes you get so caught up in your head it's kind of nice just to get out and suddenly what seemed complicated could could be you know solved quite easily so right. so that's nice and and I, th- I think a lot of people that live in colorado sort of share those share those values yeah and then you had a term for it for uh i guess for am i allowed to say kiwis or is that just a term that that only no, you're allowed we, to we, say? no that's that's fine yeah okay but, but i should qualify that uh a lot of times when Americans hear the word kiwi, yeah. they think of the fruit. Oh, I totally think of the fruit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, that's a double-edged sword. That was like the marketing was overly effective. Yeah. No, actually, just, just just as a data point, a kiwi fruit, do you know what the original name of a kiwi fruit is? No clue. It, it's the Chinese gooseberry. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, somewhere in the, I think it was the uh, 80s, um, someone, some entrepreneurial um, horticulturalists realized that these things grow really well in New Zealand. Um, so it, it became a big thing. It was like people were investing in kiwi fruit farms. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then we started exporting it to America. Wow. Um, actually, actually, one of my jobs in you know in university and high school was picking kiwi fruits, which is a horrible job. Yeah. Um, because the the very all the fur comes off and you get it up your nose and all that sort of stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, the reason we called it a kiwi fruit is the kiwi is our national bird, yeah. um, and uh, and you can't make fun of us because our national bird is flightless and blind, um, <laughs> <laughs> but and it's nocturnal, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's kind of um, it's probably the size of a of a small like a smaller than a soccer ball, and yeah. it has a very long beak, um, and uh, and uh yeah it's our national bird you guys get you know the bald eagle i won't even ask how that (laughs) became the national bird but yeah 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 yeah. well we we have a lot of birds new zealand never actually had um that was the only uh mammal uh, on the islands was birds there were no other animals there's no there was no you know cats or bears or whatever um all of that was you know we still don't have that everything was introduced um but anyway, yeah, so 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 the kiwi, you can call us a kiwi, um, but just don't think of us as a fruit. Okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. And then um, th- there was another term, though, that you used for the, for the kiwis who travel and go overseas mm-hmm. for, for a long time. Yeah. What was that, what yeah. was that term again? It was, you know, we all, we all called it the OE. OE, um, so okay. You, OE, which stands was for Overseas Experience, okay. and it was... It was almost um, sort of a, a given rite of passage that, you know, sometime, you know, in your 20s, you would get a backpack and you'd go to the airport and your family would all wave and okay. say goodbye to you. And um, you'd be gone for a couple of years. So it's just a thing you, you all do. It's a thing we all do. And I still, you know, I, I think if every single Kiwi who went on an OE, like if everybody just came back, the country would probably double um, because there are, there are, you know, there are Kiwis everywhere around the world. Yeah. And a lot of them are on their proverbial OE. They just never go back. 
I'm 30 years into it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, but yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's, that's the, and I think, you know, I think, uh, it, it's, it's a fast, fascinating social experiment. Um, because what, if you sent all your young people overseas to travel around, um, and then, you know, a good portion of them come back, it's kind of like the greatest hits. Like yeah. if you go, everybody leaves and they find, you know, wow, this, this cafe and, France is amazing or this, you know, restaurant in Turkey or whatever. And they start to bring a lot of that back. Okay. Um, so you asked earlier what it was like growing up when, when I was, when I grew up as a, as a young person, um, we were still sort of post-colonial. So things were still very simple. And, you know, a lot of our heritage was sort of more from, you know, England and Europe. So it was meat and potatoes and, uh, nothing very, and you know, tea. We didn't really drink coffee. Yeah. Um, and now, if you go to New Zealand, it's it's like it's 100 cosmopolitan. And I think I think that's attributed to this whole OE thing of you sending young people off and bringing back. So it's actually a very diverse yeah. place. Even even you go to a rural little town, and people are wearing their gumboots and they got their pickups and dogs on the back. You know, they're ordering a you know a a uh, 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 cappuccino with biscotti it's, yeah. like, it's totally unexpected um so so yeah and it's a very friendly place i think um you know most people would say you know new zealand is a very friendly um so yeah what do they uh what do they think about the people like you that never come back never come home well, they make fun of you. Okay. Depends where you go. You know, you know, uh, there was a period of time where they'd make fun of me, you know, based on what's going on with American politics, yeah. you know, with a, you know, whatever your perspective is. Um, and then, uh, you know, you may not notice, but, you know, I have an American accent as a New Zealander. See, I don't so, notice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. New Zealanders do. So, okay. So then they'll make fun of me. Right. So, um, but it's all, it's all good fun. Yeah. And, uh, sorry about that and uh yeah so yeah yeah that's 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 awesome um the uh the other thing i want to talk about that you uh you got into it was um i think the company that you started was it um what was it called again um it was called cloud cloud sync okay yeah what what got you into into that specifically what you know what led you to start up that company and um let's let's explore that a little bit if you don't mind yeah i think um which i know um it, it was really based on frustration um you know a, as a technologist you know we were trying to we were we were trying to do something completely different right yeah. in this particular case we were sort of building um mobile applications and you know we're doing enterprise type applications um, and, and there wasn't an easy way to load applications. And, uh, and then, then the, you know, the devices are out in the wild and they're all over the place. Um, this, in this use case, it was at airports all around the country um, in the hands of baggage, you know, scanners and things like that. And, uh, and then we wanted to do an update. And it was like phone calls and FedExes and sending devices back to be, up, you know, to be reloaded. And yeah. I was like, that's, that's just crazy. That makes no sense. So that, that was sort of the beginning of it. Um, and then, you know, then there's the, the thought that I can solve this problem like, you know, and th- that's, uh, you know, I think that's sort of the entrepreneurial curse is right. you see something and for you, it's obvious, um, and it needs to be fixed and you, you think you know how to do it. And then, you know, clearly once you get into it, um, 
you know, you sort of get to that point of no return. Like once you've, you've committed, you're doing it, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're bootstrapping it, you're starting to you know burn through your credit cards and you're, you know, you quit your main job and, you know, you're trying to make this thing happen and, you know, you think you can do it in a few months and it takes really more like two years. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 but then once you get, get it going, it's, it's, um, and I, and I don't know. I mean, I think it's different for everyone. I think for me, there was around about the first two and a half years were, was, was ups and downs. Like you'd start to make wins and progress that you'd get some customers and then suddenly things were going badly or whatever. In my case, I always found that whenever I went on vacation, my servers would crash. Okay. <laughs> yeah. like, this is sort of early cloud days when you have to, you know, there was no Amazon AWS at the time. So, yeah. so yeah, so, so lots of ups and downs. And I think probably by about year three, things really started to stabilize, you know, your revenue became predictable. Um, it was sort of the magic. And then, you know, by the time we hit the fourth year, we were making really good ground and, uh, and we started to pick up interest from other you know companies. We were starting to step on people's toes um, and, and in this particular case, you know, I ended up selling the company and, um, it was at that point, um, where you as an entrepreneur have some, sort of some decisions to make, which is if we want to go to the next level, you know, we're, we're probably going to need to take take in some more money, you know, which is fine. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're going to dilute, you can do all that sort of stuff. Um, or, um, you know, you could do an exit, right. And in my case, um, we were working with a customer. It was a, a large multinational pharmaceutical, even though we were a tiny little company in, in the Highlands area and district in, in, in Denver. And yeah. I guess they, they call it Hilo now. Um, and there was just like five of us, you know, stuck in this sort of essentially a large cubicle. Um, but we were working with these sort of large companies and we were doing some pretty cool stuff. And, um, and this pharmaceutical was also working with another company that was doing something very similar, except they liked our stuff better. Um, so they, and this company was called Good Technology. They were out in the Bay Area. And, um, so then, so, so the, so they were like, well, you guys should, you guys should integrate with CloudSynx. And that's sort of how that conversation started. So, um, so then, you know, they immediately went into, this is a small company. We, we don't want to talk partnerships. Maybe we can just, you know, buy them. Oh. Um, so then that sort of started that conversation. And then, you know, world is funny like when something like that happens yeah sometimes there's sort of a synchronicity then suddenly we got approached by another company at the same time so i don't know exactly how that happens um but it does and suddenly you've got two companies that were interested in buying you and um you know then you have to make a decision and yeah. then, you know and, and it's a good problem to have right like yeah do i pursue the you know the do i pursue you know getting more funds or whatever so so that's kind of how it came about so that was sort of a little you know snippet of being a sort of small startup but the four years felt really good like it felt like a good amount of time yeah you know i i have some other you know i know some other entrepreneurs and but and, and they sometimes you can go too long um where suddenly you're in year nine and ten and you're like uh, and then suddenly your market's commoditized and the magic's gone and now you just yeah you know it gets scrappy so so yeah. it's, it's interesting. So in hindsight, what uh, what would you do differently? Do you think I would have sold to the other company? <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Well, offer? I mean, it, it was it. You know, you look back on it. So actually, you know, um, in hindsight, um, I would have done exactly the same thing because okay. the whole experience was great, and you know, good technology was a fantastic company. 
um, you know, it was it was probably about 400 people when they acquired us, and you know, they, they'd been through, they had been restructured a, sort of a couple of times, yeah. um, and then we we sort of found our sweet spot, which was around you know application management. And it went exponential. And we had a great management team. Um, you know, we brought on a, a younger CEO, and she she was great. Uh, a lot of energy, and we had fun. You know, we would we would do these road shows, and we'd be traveling around the world, and and um, it's just it's a great experience. And I would I would never um, say that I wouldn't have wanted to do that. You know, I really enjoyed working with you know what what is what's better than working with really smart people right. and doing something innovative and having fun i mean that that's what it's all about yeah would you do another startup uh <laughs> well currently i work for for a for for a reasonable size large company so, I, I just mean in the future uh, like down yeah. the road well it was a it was a lot of fun you know it was a lot of fun yeah so i i wouldn't say no okay um, i'm not trying to get you in trouble <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's let's actually talk about your uh, your current gig. So, um, sure. what is your role and and uh, tell me yeah. a little about it? Yeah, how'd you actually come well, into this? Too? Well, I, it's it's the I, I I I feel like I'm sitting in the same seat at the same place and and doing the same thing, but suddenly the company the company names have changed. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of went through. So after I sold CloudSync, you know, we were based in Denver, sold it to a Bay Area company called Good Technology. Uh, Good was planning on doing an IPO and then, you know, it was sort of during the markets and things got a little weird and, and then they end up getting acquired by BlackBerry. Um, and, and part of the reason was, uh, you know, BlackBerry had been through a massive pivot, um, you know, talk, talk about an iconic brand. Right. right now it's a meme. It's a, it's a meme brand right now with AMC and GameStop. But um, it, it, it's uh, so, so BlackBerry um you know clearly when the iphone came to the market it changed everything right. like blackberry was the was was the iconic mobile device to have for enterprises oh, yeah. uh, the technology even today uh from a security standpoint and an architecture standpoint it's it's still uh probably better than what you're going to get with consumer grade devices today um there's a lot of you know and, and i should be clear we don't build devices anymore we don't make handsets um, you know, clearly when, uh, iPhone came out and Android came out, like that market just, just took off like crazy. And, um, it was also, um, you know, I don't think Blackberry at the time, um, could rationalize it, you know, because, because from their lens, they were like, well, the reason you use us is because of security and, you know, V1 of iPhones and Androids were absolutely not secure, um, but people love them, right? Mm -hmm. They love the user experience. And I think that was part of that. It was a difficult to rational because it's like, you know, we do, we've got 400 things of security and they've got like three. Yeah. Um, there's no way, you know, a major bank or a government is going to switch. Um, but they did. Why? Um, because, you know, the CEO was like, I really like this device. IT, figure out how to make it work, right? Yeah. So, so, so um, good technology was working on iPhones and Androids, and they were basically doing the same sort of th same sort of BlackBerry type end-to-end -end encryption for communication and email and messaging and all that good stuff. So, so, so um, you know, when BlackBerry sort of was at its low point, uh, John Chen, who's now the current CEO, came on and 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 he needed to turn this thing around. And and at the time, BlackBerry was like a Boeing seven forty seven pointed straight down to the ground. It was going down hard and fast burning massive amounts of cash because it was a you know, very large company. 
uh, and he turned around and he he did something that not many people have done um, in technology is to pivot from being a hardware company to a hundred percent software company. Um, and that's hard. Like that, that was a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Um, and he did it and, and he did it through a number of acquisitions. So you asked me, how did I get to BlackBerry? So, you know, I was with uh, good technology and they acquired BlackBerry, uh, sorry, acquired good technology to really, you know, solve that software based problem for iPhones and Android devices. Uh, and since then, you know, we've, we've done a number of acquisitions. Um, you know, Black, BlackBerry is a, on the since I, and you asked me what I do, I'm 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 responsible for product marketing at BlackBerry, and, and the hardest thing is is shifting perception with an iconic brand um, like 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 BlackBerry, uh, because almost everybody um, at, at a, from a certain age point um, ha- knows what BlackBerry you know knows mm-hmm. that a BlackBerry is this device, and usually I love my you know. I hear it all the time. Oh, BlackBerry, you guys still around? I, I love my device, you know. Or, and that's the sort of perception. But in reality, you know, we're, we're a security company, yeah. Um, and we're solving a lot of the same problems. So the same customers, the same banks and governments, and defense contractors, and you know, high security, uh, um, uh, compliance, you know, highly regulated industries uh, use us because we just have that extra layers of security that, that's important for them. And, um, you know, we did a couple more acquisitions. We did a big one uh, about two years ago, um, a cybersecurity company called Silence. Um, and that was a great acquisition. Um, you know, Silence was really, you, you, if you talk to the founding CEO, you know, he, he would say that we're a data science company and we just happened to choose to do security. You know, we could have done anything. So basically it was all around, you know, using AI to solve a problem. And this particular problem was, can I dynamically figure out if something, if a file or a piece of code is good or bad? Yeah. Um, can I use AI to do that? And that was sort of the beginning of what's often referred to as next gen uh, AV, you know, like CrowdStrike and Carbon Black and a few others have similar similar types of technology. Oh, excuse me about that. Oh, it's okay. Stop that. Bear with me. I'm just glad the birds in the background have stopped. <laughs> it's, it sounded like you had a lot of birds back there. Yeah. Sorry. The, the Mac eco, the Apple ecosystem uh, sometimes doesn't work properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, um, so that was really, that's really fun. So we've got sort of this, you know, this AI engine um, that can, you know, do a lot of stuff that's pre-execution. And I don't know, we've got a security uh, group here and I, people are yeah. familiar with that sort of thing. And, and since then, you know, we've really expanded it. You know, we've taken some of that technology, you know, some of that AI, you know, capabilities, and now looking at things like behavioral, um, you know, looking at human behavior, not just, uh, you know, looking at whether a file is good or bad. So yeah. determining if something, you know, like inside a threat and all those sorts of problems that people, you know, struggle with, um, being able to look at the behavior of the human um, and determine if something's out of behavior and then be able to do something about it. Um, so, so, so to me, that's really exciting, you know, so that we're sort of in this new wave of where we're using the machines, um, to help protect our machines, um, which is, which is kind of crazy. So I do want to ask you a question. I got to think about how to, how to properly ask this though. Um, it's about, um, brand marketing. So, you know, if you look at kind of the younger generation, um, really the millennials, particularly on the young side, a lot of them 
you know, they never had blackberries. So in their mind, they're not stuck with this vision of what your company is. But the older millennials, the Gen Xer, Gen Xers like me, you know, I had several blackberries. And and so every time, you know, I think of Blackberry, kind of back to what you were alluding to earlier, you know, I I see this this company as like this this phone company that that created these devices but you don't do that anymore like how do you for for like my generation how do you uh how do you get that out of our heads that that's you know not what you guys do anymore yeah no that that we talk about that a lot um and and it's actually a it's actually really expensive to to change change you yeah um because you know, you would have to spend a lot of marketing dollars with campaigns and all sorts of things to to pivot, to globally pivot a brand. And, you know, we don't sell to you. Yeah. We sell to uh, the CISO or the CIO or of a large multinational. And so, so w- we make the conscious decision to market to those people, um, because that that that's who we're who, who we're targeting. Yeah. Um, would I love to do a brand campaign to change it to let everybody know that we you know in every major newspaper you pick up or you know in airports and everywhere you turn and look you see that yeah that would be fun um, but it's probably not practical. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess that's. Um... You know, it's it's interesting because it just shows how successful BlackBerry was back then. That like it it was as defining as the iPhone in its time. So it's yeah. The, the the thing with the brand though is um for those who know the brand, even if it's not a device, that there is an emotional piece to it, which yeah. is like it was reliable. I trusted it. Um, it did what it was supposed to do. Um, so, so those sort of brand values mm. s- still exist. So, I mean, you could have changed your name, right? You yeah. could have said, you know, we're not Blackberry, we're now Blueberry. And then people would say, well, who's Blueberry? Yeah. I don't know you. Do I trust Blueberry? I don't think so. You know, I, you know, well, you're going to have to earn that. Yeah. So, so there is, there is brand equity um, with, 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 for example, with Blackberry. Um, around the core values of the brand um, and just being able to try to pivot that with the people that, you know, that you're targeting. So, so, so yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I, you know, my, my roles on, you know, product marketing is actually quite different than corporate marketing. So mm-hmm. corporate marketing would be more responsible for the brand and all that good stuff. Yeah. You know, we, we focus on the products themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely makes sense. So what do you see as like your, uh, your big challenges for the next five, 10 years? Wow. Um, <laughs> Go uh, anywhere uh, with that. Ten, 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 ten years as a technologist, 10, 10 years gets really theoretical. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say, so let me put it this way. Um, and, and you'll see it with a lot of security companies is um, like, we all have roadmaps. Yeah. You know, we all look at the future and we, we you know, we, we all, so, so right now, you know, if we're talking about security technology, um, probably the next big thing over the next, you know, let's say 18 to 36, 48 months, 
it's probably about extending detection and response. So XDR is sort of this emerging one that everybody starts talking about. And, and all it is is, you know, bringing in more telemetry. So bring in network telemetry and, you know, data to telemetry and behavioral stuff and, you know, integrate, pull in logs from other third parties and, you know, toss it into a data lake and do your magic on it. And then, you know, light up, you know, come up with new insights and lower the number of noise and alerts and all that sort of good stuff. And that's sort of, you know, where I think a lot of security companies are hitting. Um, but there's a part of me that goes, but would that help you with, would that, would have that have helped Colonial Pipeline? It's like, no, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. they just needed, they just needed good security hygiene, right? They just needed good, you know, um, next gen antivirus, or they just needed some good procedures and policies and, you know, whatever. So, 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 so I think um, in the near term, there's a lot of catch up to be done with just basic stuff. Um, so, so I think, you know, when, where I sit from a product marketing standpoint, we're still talking about how do you stop ransomware? Um, which is kind of crazy really. Cause you know, even like last year, like, U.S. alone was like $20 billion of U.S. companies were ransomed, mm -hmm. um, $20 billion. And, and uh, it's not like we don't know how to stop it. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. so, so, so it's, uh, it's, it's surprising to me. Um, but, so, so there's a lot of work to be done just to help uh, companies today, just to, just to make sure they can be as safe as possible. Yeah. Um, and we, we get it like, you know, we totally get it. And I, and I think the other thing that will probably be emerging a lot of is, is, um, probably MDR, which is managed detection and response, which is, you know, I think for a lot of companies, especially if you're a, you know, mid-size or a small mid-size, you're like, I can't afford to have, you know, a 24 by seven security operations center, you know, that's just really expensive. Um, and, and so there's a lot of companies now that will say, look, we'll do that for you, right? So we'll, we'll manage that for you. And then we'll, we'll make sure that you have the latest, greatest and all that sort of good stuff. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I mean, if you're, a, if you're a security analyst today or you're a professional security person, you're in high demand. Um, there's not enough of you uh, out there today um, so I think having economies of scale through managed services will, will probably be another big thing that we'll, we'll start to see. So I think, um, you know, I'd say, I'd say the three things would be just meat and potato stuff, you know, basic, you know, let's just make sure we've got all our bases covered. Um, you know, let's augment or outsource some of our security services, make sure that we're skilled up. Um, and, and, you know, we've got someone, you know, another set of eyes that are keeping, you know, helping keep us safe. And then thirdly, you know, for the bigger companies, you know, let's start integrating more stuff um, and then start to use some, you know, using the machines to, 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 you know, solve sort of the next generation of problems that are coming. So, so I think those are probably the sort of the three areas and, and you sort of timeline them depending on, on how, how you want to look at it. Very good. Very good. Well, Nigel, how do people find and follow you on social media? Well, you know, we talked about this briefly. I'm probably the worst person <laughs> when it comes to social media, but you know, I, you know, we, we, you know, LinkedIn. You can absolutely find me, connect with me. I'm, I'm be happy. If you've got any questions, I'm happy to, to you know, see if I can help or at least you know, bring in some people that could help. Um, 
yeah so that's a good that's a good way to go yeah. right on right on i think yeah. the community yeah. will enjoy this uh this conversation this was a fun one so well yeah. thanks again for joining me and uh yeah have a good rest of your day go hit those mountains do some do some yeah. bike riding or something <laughs> yeah. sounds perfect all right all well right. thanks very much I, re- I enjoyed that that concludes my interview with nigel thompson be sure to follow and support colorado equals security on patreon this is jason jake saying be safe out there Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.